This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Welcome to Democracy Matters, the podcast of the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University. I'm your co-host, Kara ong This is Abraham Goldberg, director of JMU Civic and faculty member in the Department of Political Science. And I'm Jacqueline Dobrin, communication specialist here at JMU Civic. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Terry Rodzevic. She graduated from James Madison University in 2004 with a Bachelor of Science in Nursing and minors in Biology and Military Science. Dr. Rodzevic served in the United States Army Nurse Corps from 2004 to 2009 with two deployments to Iraq, including two to Crete and Baghdad. She currently serves in the United States Public Health Service as a supervisory research nurse practitioner for the National Institutes of Health, the National Institutes of Diabetes, Digestive, and Kidney Disease in Phoenix, Arizona, and as a supervisory nurse practitioner for the Indian Health Service at Phoenix Indian Medical Center Emergency Department. We hope you enjoy her story and invite you to engage with us in the conversation on social media, at JMU Civic on Twitter and Facebook, and at JMU Duke's Vote on Instagram. Commander Rodzevic, thank you so much for joining us on Democracy Matters. I'm wondering if you can start by sharing why you joined the military. And this next question actually comes from Colonel Swain, who asked, did you realize what you were getting into when you joined the ROTC at JMU? My progression um, in joining the military was not exactly linear, especially from the beginning. Um, When I went to JMU, I knew that I wanted to go to JMU and I knew that I wanted to be a healthcare professional when I graduated. Beyond that, I wasn't certain um, what I wanted my future to look like. And um, so I kind of dabbled um, in a few different healthcare um, courses before making a decision with nursing. Um, so I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to be a physical therapist or um, a physician assistant, a physician. Um, so I tried these and nothing really quite fit. Um, and I could also relate that feeling in terms of student organizations and sports. Um, I had come from playing soccer my entire um, young life and um, was quite passionate about it and was looking for something similar at JMU and um, was having some trouble finding that um, new passion as well. So um, when I lived in Eagle Hall, which I think at the time was the tallest building in Harrisonburg, I saw these um, crazy army people repelling off the building. And um, one of my hallmates, she was in ROTC, um, so she wore the uniform, and I went out there and I saw them doing this, and it just looked so like out of the norm and adventurous, and everyone looked like they were having fun and demonstrating teamwork and trust in each other, and it was part of a, a larger organization, you know, the U.S. Army, something bigger, and it was something that really appealed to me at the time when I was trying to find my own meaning and purpose. So um, I was really interested um, in ROTC. And I think I took uh, 
like a lab class just to try it out. And I really enjoyed it. So um, back to the medical profession side, um, I, after being part of the ROTC lab, I decided that the Army medic, um, to me, was one of the most pure um, forms of um, healthcare support. I mean, they're brave and compassionate, smart, you know, I'd be able to act like on the spot. And I was like, this is something that I want to try. Um, you know, it was the most basic form of healthcare. And regardless of whatever it was I wanted to do, I thought that that was a good starting point for me. So um, I joined the uh, Virginia Army National Guard. Um, everyone was surprised. I had the recruiter in my apartment living room. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and I went to basic training that summer and I really enjoyed it. I came back and I did more ROTC and um, decided that I wanted to be um, an emergency nurse in the Army. Um, so came out doing that. Um, I joined the um, JMU nursing program, which was, you know, one of the best in the country. Um, I did ROTC. It was very busy and um, strenuous, both um, physically and academically, but um, I came out of the program um, successful, I believe, because within a year of graduation, I was in Iraq um, as an emergency nurse and in a helicopter with just me and the patient able to manage it. So um, was it what I expected when I first signed those papers? No, not at all. <laughs> but um, I think that the path took me where it needed to and um, very appreciative of the program for that. Where were you on September 11th, 2001, and what do you remember about how that day changed you? So I was actually in chemistry class, and it was in Miller Hall. I know they moved um, chemistry from there now. Um, and there were some rumors going around, some buzz that this had happened, that a plane hit the tower. But no one at the time, or you know, it wasn't widespread that people had smartphones, so we weren't able to instantly Google the situation. We didn't really understand what was going on. The class was not canceled. At the time, the media was still reporting that perhaps this was an accident. Um, and they were still delivering news. Like the, you know, the news feeds were nonstop with the, um, the cameras on the towers. So I just continued my day. I went from Miller Hall. I walked over to UREC. Um, I got on an elliptical machine. And of course, like the whole line of television screens was nothing but the burning uh, World Trade Center right in front of me. And as I'm doing my exercise, the second plane hit the tower. And then everyone's like, okay, this is not an accident. And we're speculating that America is under attack. And that's when everything changed because... I had never felt that way about my country before. I had never felt compromised. Um, my security had never been threatened. And then, uh, especially when a plane hit the Pentagon so close to home, 
um, that was a big dose of reality about how my life was going to change. And being already enlisted in the military at the time, that galvanized um, my purpose for being there and what my future was going to look like. Because prior to that, I think that the military was largely peacekeeping and, you know, in medical, we were doing humanitarian efforts. And um, at that moment, we were going to war. So um, that that truly changed my purpose and role in the military as soon as that happened. Can you share your experiences serving in the global war on terror in your deployments to Iraq? I'm also curious if you can speak to how those experiences impacted you. I went to Iraq um, in November of 2000, or no, October of 2005. Um, I went, my first deployment was to Tikrit, Iraq. I was um, brand new emergency nurse. I wasn't even emergency certified yet. Um, I didn't have that MOS or identifier. I was a medical surgical nurse, but I loved emergency medicine and emergency nursing. Um, I wanted to be with the medics um, providing the the first line care. Um, so I, I went out there with a steep learning curve, um, but highly motivated and um, was I ready? No, <laughs> but I have never um, felt my life had more meaning or purpose than caring for um, an American soldier overseas. Um, so into crit, I, um, I learned not only how to be an emergency nurse, an army nurse, an army officer, um, but also a valued member of a team and a, um, um, like a movement greater than anything I've ever contributed to, to before. Um, my second deployment, I went to Baghdad. Um, I was a, a certified emergency nurse at the time. Um, I had gone to the um, emergency nurse course in the army, and I felt I felt like it was my job to help develop the nurses who were just like me during the previous deployment. Those who had not seen the level of trauma that we were about to. Um, witness or care for the types of injuries or the soldiers that we were, uh, that we did see in Baghdad. Um, that deployment was different. Um, we were more established in Iraq um, and being in Baghdad in the green zone, it was um, more, well, it was more urban um, and we had an actual hospital. So um, it, w- it felt a little more modern than when I was deployed to Tikrit, uh, but the, the patients were the same, the care was the same, um, and I felt accomplished not only as an emergency nurse at the time, but also as an Army officer and leader able to 
help support the team and also develop the newer nurses um, to care for the patients. So it was different, but still very satisfying in that regard. I wonder if you can speak to your experience being a woman serving in the military, as well as the opportunities and challenges that women face both within the service and as they are deployed abroad. My opportunities have been nothing short of amazing. Um, and I don't know if I would attribute that to my gender in any way. Um, I've had incredible female mentors and um, champions, supervisors from the get-go. They kind of demonstrated and modeled that you could do anything. So I didn't think anything other than that. I don't know if being female changed my experience, but I had um, an outstanding experience um, in the military the entire time. The challenges, I, I do hear that people do have challenges based on discrimination and bias, but for me, I think that my challenge was overcoming my own implicit bias about who I thought I should be. Um, in ROTC, it's highly competitive. And, you know, you're graded on standing in front of a formation and having a command presence and speaking very loudly. And that was not my leadership style. Um, that's not how I want I'm not going to stand in front of you and bark orders and expect anything to get done. Um, it's not how I interact. So I struggled with that. Um, and I did question, is this because I am a nurse, is it because I'm female? But I, I just think it's because that's just not who I am. <laughs> and um, as I developed in my career, I realized that as a nurse and now as a healthcare scientist, I have never stood in front of anybody and yelled at them and told them what to do. No, no big formations have stood before me um, to accomplish anything since I've left JMU, Captain or Dr. Swain now. Because <laughs> he, um, he actually wrote me a note um, when I was at advanced camp at ROTC and it said, speak up. Um, and he signed it artillery ears because he lost, I guess, had hearing loss because of um, being in artillery in the army. So that kind of stuck with me. Like, I just need to be loud and um, very overt in my leadership. Um, and I think overcoming that has helped me identify who I want to be and be successful at doing so. What do you want the public to appreciate about the United States military response to the September 11, 2001 attacks that are lacking in the mainstream narratives? The one thing I appreciate, I don't know if it's um, mainstream or not, but um, I met my husband while serving my first deployment in Iraq. Um, and this, that was his second deployment. Um, his first one had been to Afghanistan. Um, and how he ended up in Afghanistan was actually on September 11th, 2001. He was serving with the, um, I think it's the 18th Airborne Corps. And out, like, and within hours of the World Trade Center um, attacks, he received a phone call that he was to board a plane to Kurdistan 
no, I'm sorry, Uzbekistan. Um, and he was going to remain there for six months. And I don't think that everyone appreciates that we have soldiers who are ever ready to drop everything and, you know, preserve and protect um, America and our identity overseas in a moment's notice. In June of this year, President Biden announced United States troop withdrawal from Afghanistan by September 11th, 2021, the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks. As we engage in this conversation today, here in August of 2021, the Taliban fighters have retaken control in Afghanistan. There are also ongoing attacks on U.S. facilities and on the U.S.-led coalition in Iraq. As someone who has experienced conflicts firsthand on the ground, what concerns do you have about the future of Afghanistan and Iraq in the Middle East more broadly? It's, it's hard to see um, what's happening in Afghanistan right now. It's um, very difficult to watch people try to flee the country. Um, when I was in Iraq both times, um, we had local nationals live with us in the hospital. We had interpreters and housekeepers and people who were there to help and support us, who we trusted and they trusted us. Um, you know, I learned um, some Arabic from them and I was able to communicate with my patients uh, because of them. I appreciated the culture. Um, because of the community that surrounded us and um, interacted with us. And they even came and cooked for us um, because they were thankful, especially if we treated people's family members or community members, the ones who were embedded with us would show their gratitude by cooking. And to have that experience and those people in my life at that time um, and see what's happening now, it's very disappointing. Um, and I fear that not only that country or the Middle East in general, but the world, our allies, may never trust us again. And we demonstrate that level of relationship building, and then to leave it all behind. Um, I think it, it questions our integrity. Um, and I know it goes against the principles of counterinsurgency. And, you know, it makes me wonder what the future would hold without having um, that strategy. You now work in the public health sector and received your doctorate focusing on policy and leadership. What health policy issues should policy and decision makers be more attentive to, and how might they create more effective, inclusive, and responsive public health policies? My work right now, I'm being detailed back to the emergency room for um, the Indian Health Service. So I, um, I work for the National Institutes of Health as a commissioned officer, but 
because of my location in Phoenix, um, when the Indian Health Service needs assistance, I I help um, provide clinical care in the emergency department and as and as a supervisor there as well. So um, having that experience and background of providing emergency care for a very underserved population, um, we're always having to focus on the accessibility of care, but also balanced with um, the efficacy, safety, and um, fairness, the care that's delivered. Um, this care should be equitable. And with Mtala, and especially now with the lack of healthcare available because of the pandemic, a lot of the clinics are closed. Patients are utilizing the emergency services as a safety net more than ever before, um, and we cannot turn them away. So our census has gone up incredibly, and we have to be mindful of the resources that we're um, extending. And I think a lot of the people who come to the emergency department right now, um, just because it's easier to access care, haven't been given the tools or perhaps they're not trying to utilize the tools they were given to navigate the system and um, gain a care in a more appropriate manner, either like through their primary care doctor or clinic. Um, so I would really like to see something um, that would provide accessibility to healthcare and like even other um, resources like food and sustenance but make the consumer responsible for what they're using. Cause I don't think that there's a level of, of respect or responsibility for, or understanding for other resources that they're using and then compromising um, the care of people who really need it. Because if I am in the emergency room and I'm taking 15 minutes to refill your diabetic medication that you didn't see your regular doctor for, the person with the heart attack isn't getting my undivided attention during that time. And I think we just need to find a better appropriate balance for that. Um, and maybe the person who's giving the medication refill needs to understand um, the resources that they're consuming and take responsibility for their health management as well. Terry, we thank you for your time today and how much you care about everything. It's just amazing. And we, we really appreciate um, everything that you do. And we know that democracy sh requires shared sacrifice and gratitude to those who have sacrificed. And we wanna thank you for the sacrifices that you have made. While we recognize the fundamental reality that sacrifice is an unequal burden, what advice do you have for individuals who have not served in the military for how they can contribute to preserving, strengthening, and reimagining democracy? I think that there's just so many ways to become involved in your community and support things that you believe in. Um, I think you may always hear the, the obvious of go out and vote, support support um, your candidate, your, um, your policies, um, what have you, but 
I think even more broadly than that is focusing on mutual respect for each other and each other's beliefs. Um, I think respect and civility can go a long way. Um, right now, it seems that um, any conflicting ideas may get canceled or argued um, against, and perhaps just being able to um, listen and be more open-minded uh, will allow others to um, have their voice and be heard in the same way that we all want to. I just it, it's very disheartening to go to Facebook and see like somebody have a very benign statement about something and then get publicly attacked because their view conflicts with someone else's and and then we say we agree to disagree and I don't think that's always the case. So I think moving forward to protect and preserve the original ideas of basic rights and freedoms is to allow others to have their own beliefs and opinions. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Democracy Matters. Editing and production was done by Jacqueline Dobrin, JMU Civics Communications Specialist. Randy Bednikus, Director of Digital Marketing at JMU, does the syndication for us. Our theme song is Sometimes It Shines by Pictures of the Floating World. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can tweet your questions and ideas to us at JMU Civic, and we'll address them in a future episode. You can also connect and engage with us on Facebook at JMU Civic. Learn more about the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University on our website at j.mu civic. Until next time.